In the name of the Father and of the Son and Holy Spirit. Can you hear me? Yeah? Good. Okay. So, um, I've uh, seen that you have uh, written down some questions for, so that you expect that I answer them, right? So, I'll try. I'll try my best. Uh, the uh, Matushka didn't even want to give the, the questions to me late last night saying that, no, it will be fun looking at you as you're looking for answers for, for it. <laughs> I said, you know, that's rather merciless of you, you know. So I, I was able to, in the end, extract the questions from her. So I read through them, and they're very, very interesting questions. So I will, I can't promise that I'll have answer for all of them, but uh, I will try my best. And the reason why it is good to give me questions before is that because you don't want my answers, right? You want answers from the Holy Fathers, right? And the human memory is extremely, you know, treacherous thing. I might remember from the Fathers, I might not, right? So the best thing is if I read the questions and whatever I don't remember, I look in the Fathers, right? So I can provide an answer. Okay, that's an additional question. Okay, let's go... <coughs> In, uh, uh, by order of uh, numerical uh, order of the uh, questions here. So the first one is about, <clears throat> it says, we know from the book of Acts that the service and the service for Thomas Sunday about St. Thomas not being present when our Saviour first appeared to his disciples in the upper room and then doubting until he, and then doubting until he appeared uh, eight days later. There is also a tradition that Thomas was not brought uh, to the deathbed of the Theotokos. He is present in some icons of the Domitian and not in others. Why would this be, being absent happen to St. Thomas twice? This occurrence is uh, not in the service of the Domitian, but how else would we know about her bodily translation to the heavens? Well, yeah, St. Thomas is the <coughs> one who was absent from our Saviour's uh, first appearing to his disciples. And it's interesting to note here that uh, Fathers, um, especially St. Romanus the Melodist, uh, in his Condacion on, uh, on, on the new Sunday, on, the, on St. Thomas uh, uh, Sunday, the Antipasca, uh, talks that it wasn't that Thomas uh, was doubting our Saviour's resurrection. That was not the reason why he was, he was saying that until I see him and until I put my finger in his side and in the print of the nails I will not believe. That was not unbelief on part of St. Thomas, the Apostle. It was that he was very, very upset that he was not there to see our Saviour. And that was his uh, reaction to it. And why? why? Why was he upset? He says that, you know, am I not a disciple, an Apostle, like the rest of you? How am I supposed to go and teach everybody that our Saviour is risen? If I haven't seen him, if I haven't touched him, if I haven't seen him eat, hear him. So that's why he was so upset that, you know, that he thought that his apostleship was forfeited by him being absent. And St. Romanus says it so beautifully that uh, uh, he says there's a dialogue. You know, Syrians always love this uh, genre of dialogue, in, in even in religious terms, you know, the dialogue between the apostles and between, uh, you know, various protagonists of the, the feast, right? So it's poetic, but theologically sound, always, mm. right? So there is a dialogue between the apostles and St. Thomas, 
right? And the, uh, the apostles are saying, you know, come on, Thomas, now, you know, don't you believe us that we saw our Savior and, you know, aren't we uh, apostles, aren't we brothers, can't you trust our word for it? And he says, of course I, will, I trust you, but listen to me, when I go out into the world to preach, right, about our Savior, that what am I going to say, that I was there when our Savior well, you know, wrote, uh, uh, multiplied the fish and the bread. I was there when he walked on the sea. I was there when he uh, uh, raised Lazarus from the dead, when he gave sight to the blind, he gave health to the lepers. I, I, I know all this because I saw it all, right? And then when they asked me, well, what about his rising? He's, I'll say, well, he rose from the dead and I know it because my friends told me about it. <laughs> How would that sound? And he's saying, the, what is what what uh, the the Romanist the Melody is trying to say is that the testimony of resurrection was so important, right? It was so vital in the preaching that Saint Thomas was right. He couldn't have gone out to the world and say that you know the most important thing that our Savior did, that he rose from the dead. If you're not a witness to it, what are you preaching to us? Somebody else's witness? Well, that that won't work, right? So. That's why St. Thomas was, was uh, so we say, doubting, right? No, it wasn't doubt. It was being upset because he wanted to have the fullness of testimony himself so that he could go and preach to the rest of the world that our Savior truly rose, that he had, and it's not uh, somebody else's witness that he's bringing, it's his own, that he saw it, he touched it, and so forth. Now, there is in the church the tradition that Thomas was absent at the Domitian of the Theotokos also, and by dispensation, right? The, it, go, it goes, uh, the, uh, the history of the Domitian goes uh, this wise, that the Theotokos was living in, uh, on Mount Sion, that, that's in, in Jerusalem, and at the time of her, when the, her death was approaching, she received, uh, it's called the Second Annunciation, when Gabriel the Archangel came and announced to her her Domitian, just as it was Gabriel who announced the the annunciation, the incarnation of the of, of the Son of God in her womb, so she uh, she prepared for for her departure and asked that the apostles might be uh, with her, uh, and they be ones who to bury her. And the tradition of of the church, and this is uh, known in in in, uh, in in both in writings of Saint Dionysius, mention mention it and. Uh, it's an integral part of the tradition of the church that all the apostles from wherever they were preaching at that time throughout the known world, right, were transported to be there with the Theotokos, right? And the tradition also says that Thomas was not, for, for, and for a reason, right? Uh, and when the apostles gave the burial to the Theotokos, right, then came uh, Thomas, and he wanted to... Uh, say, uh, bid farewell from the Theotokos, Theotokos as well. And when they opened the tomb of the Theotokos, she wasn't there anymore. That is, she was translated uh, in body, and, and uh, just as she was translated in soul, at her domitian, her body was also assumed. Uh, and she is in the state of resurrection. What every human being will be after the general resurrection, that's what Theotokos already uh, is that's the state she is in? She's already risen from the uh, dead in her body, and she is bodily at the at the right hand of our Savior, right? So 
Now, why does St. Thomas appear in some uh, icons of Domitian and others? Well, if you have noticed on the icon of Ascension, you can also see St. Paul, although St. Paul was not really there. St. Paul was not even baptized. He wasn't even Christian. He was a persecutor of Christians at the time of Ascension. But he was mystically. And why? Because every, every uh, event in our Savior's life, in, in the, the great dispensation of, of his incarnation, uh, is, transcends time and place, right? So uh, we are at the Ascension every time we celebrate Ascension properly. We are at the Pentecost every time we celebrate Pentecost properly, when we are there with mind and heart and participating in the mysteries of our Saviour, we are there. Because the Pentecost is not some, or ascension or nativity or resurrection, is not simply a historical event. It's a mystical event that transcends time and place, right? So every Christian is there when he's celebrating properly the ascension or Domitian or Pentecost, so in that, that is why the church depicts St. Paul both at the Ascension and at the Pentecost. Although physically he wasn't there, he was there in spirit. Because having become the Apostle and having partaken of the same grace as the Apostles, he participates in the whole of, the, of the, what the Apostles participated in. That might be the explanation of why St. Thomas is depicted in certain icons and he's not in others, right? He wasn't there in body, but he was there in spirit with the Theotokos. Right. Does that answer the question? Well, I'm just curious about what you just mentioned about the ascent. You said the also is mentioned the ascension of the Theotokos, didn't you? Assuming. I mean, her body was. See, that's was what taken I'm confused up. about because I know the Catholics, they take they talk about the ascension of the Theotokos mm -hmm. and dogma, no, no, they, they whereas don't. with us it's just tradition. They say, right? No, no, it's and I'm confused about no, that. The, no, the assumption. Assumption. The assumption. assumption. Yeah. So, I mean assumption. Yeah. Right. Well, the, of of the body, right? So, right. Right. Uh, Domitian is, 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 is the Theotokos uh, dying, right? Theotokos right. died at the Domitian. We call it Domitian because mm -hmm. that's what the death of the righteous is, especially the Theotokos. Right. It's sleep, right? But she resurrected, and her body was taken up into heaven as well. And that's the assumption. That's the assumption. So we do believe it in dogma as No, dogma. but no, but that's we do, of course we do. Absolutely we do. Yeah, that's why Theotokos is there, body and okay. soul, right? The difference with the Roman Catholic teaching is that they say that the Theotokos never died. Ah, okay, that's what I was confused and that, about. And they try to say of right. course she never died, she never yes. but by you see, that's an interesting point that you brought up actually yes. because uh, we know how the Protestants uh, you know, they disparage the Theotokos. They don't right. believe in her. Right. They don't. And that is, uh, you know, atrocious. You, one cannot be a Christian without venerating the Theotokos right. because we have Christ through her. Right? You can't be a Christian without her who gave us Christ. Because everything of, of human nature that our, th that our Savior has is from the Theotokos. Right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, right, one should also uh, know that uh, that uh, by not glory, by by glorifying the Theotokos not in accordance with the sound teaching can bring the same results as well. That in the end you disparage her. Mm. That is why we chant at the Feast of Domitian that, uh, that we ask that she uh, intercede for all who praise her in an orthodox manner. Mm. Right? Because mm. human praise, right? That, that's what we, we don't need human praise. We need orthodox praise, right? And I'll give you an example how the, under the guise of wanting to give praise to Theotokos, right? Roman Catholic Church, in adding human notions 
to the praise of the Theotokos has, in the end, actually that theology uh, disparages her mm -hmm. and diminutes uh, her, 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 her worth and, her, and, her, and, and, and who she is, right? This is an example about the assumption. The, uh, the, they say that Theotokos was so holy she never died, right? And it seems at first sight that that's a, you know, something of an honor, mm -hmm. saying that to, for the Theotokos, right? But she, if she never died, neither is she participant of the incorruption of the resurrection, right? Mm -hmm. That is, she's, she never participate, participated in the resurrect grace of the resurrection, right? Right. And th that escapes the, the, the theology. Why? Because there are holes in it. When humans invent theology, there will be always holes in it. In the end, it will end up by unraveling the theology itself. Yes, Nelly? Uh, what about the prophet Elias? No, they, are, they, they haven't died. And that's why they will come at the time of Antichrist. And they will, they will uh, sort of do their work of preaching and denouncing him. And they'll be killed and uh, risen again. Right, both Elias and Enoch, the prophets. Right, uh, but you see, everybody has to uh, has to, uh, as our Savior says, if the seed is not does not die when it's buried, it won't be. Uh, neither will it rise. Right. So, if the Theotokos never experienced death, righteous, fully holy death, right, without any uh, corruption, right, but still death in order to assume the incorruption that comes after, uh, uh, in accordance with the, uh, <coughs> of, of after the arising from the dead, right? Because all the saints will follow in the footsteps of our Savior of dying and resurrecting with a glorified body, right? Incorrupt body. So we, we don't believe in the Immaculate Conception of Mary either? Like I know, that. no, I don't know. No, that, no. That's a heresy. Yeah, that's, oh, okay. it is. It, that, that as well. I mean, <laughs> and that, that is another point why it, uh, uh, why, you know, giving uh, praise not in accordance. So, do you understand about the, the assumption? How, how as, as if at first sight, you know, saying that, well, Theotokos never died, it's a grand thing to say that, right? right. Because it's not in accordance with the church teaching, right? Mm -hmm. How, uh, at first sight, something, you know, so laudable can end up actually disparaging the, 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 uh, the object of, uh, of the praise, right? Theotokos herself, meaning that she's the only one that who, who does, he ca cannot participate in the glory of the resurrection from the dead, right? And that, that is simply, that just does not fit with what we, of course she is, she is the first one to participate, the first one to follow <laughs> our Savior in becoming incorruptible in, 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 uh, in, in body, right? So that's, mm. that's uh, that uh, question, so, but yeah. Why do you think it was Thomas who was the one who was, not there. I mean, he was absent in both cases. I mean, it could have well, been somebody else. Maybe our Savior chose that way. <laughs> I've wondered about that too, actually. You know? <laughs> why, why was it oh, Thomas who wasn't there? Well, <laughs> it, it, it said that uh, Thomas was, was uh, proclaiming the gospel of the Lord. He was too far away. In probably. India. Because oh, <laughs> India is the furthest away, right? Yeah, he was in there India. There there, yeah, the maybe. last years so. of Christ were in India, right? So, you know, from India to Jerusalem. <laughs> Maybe that you know he has that role of actually being, uh, you know, just as Thomas was was there, uh, so that through him we exactly know not only visually but physically touching our Savior's prints, and uh, so also through the, our Savior used Thomas as a means of also ascertaining that Our Lady truly rose from the dead and ascended into the heavens to be 
there with with a savior, right? I think Saint Romanos. What well, is that in one of his long Condacion on the on the Antipascha on Thomas Sunday. Oh. Yeah, we read it every Sunday on the uh, on the okay. uh, in the monastery. Oh, but that's one of the long ones. They, they're, really they're always long. long. <laughs> the Condacion. <laughs> they're always long. Yeah. Okay. Which are higher? Oh, so this is a question, a second question. Which are higher in creation, angels or men? In the service for the ascension, it says that our Savior raised up our fallen nature and seated it together with the Father, and that the angels were amazed and were beside themselves with astonishment. And in one of the homilies of Saint John of Kronstadt, uh, says. God did not make holy angels to be the poor performance of heavenly mysteries. Instead, he made people like you covered like uh, uh, in infirmities and sins. Uh, but in Psalm 8 and in Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verse 7, it says that man is little lower than the angels. Well, it's, it's a good question because um, it's when we talk about the Psalm 8 and the uh, Hebrews of St. Paul quoting that psalm, right? Mm. Uh, the psalm says that the humans were made a little lower than the angels. But why? What is that uh, being lower? What is the reason why it's lower? Because at the same time, humans are made in the image of God, right? Mm. Image and likeness of God. Well, that little lower is because of the mortality that mm. came into the human race. That is the reason why we are considered lower for a time. But after the mortality uh, uh, is done away with, as our Savior has done, right? Even our Savior was made a little lower than the angels because of his mortality, of human nature, according to his human nature. That's why St. Paul is quoting that. If you uh, have the Hebrews, if you have the, uh, uh, the Hebrews chapter 2, you will see that, that St. Paul is quoting the whole of the text of the, of, the, of the psalm and then says that he was made a little lower, that is Jesus, who is God become man, according to his humanity, he was made little lower than the angels because of his mortality. But since that will be overcome, and it was overcome in our Savior, right? Obviously, that little lower disappears as well, right? So it's mortality that makes humans temporarily little lower than the angels, right? So men are higher because yes, yes, our human nature is 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 seated uh, next uh, to God the Father, absolutely, and because absolutely. we're made in the image. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, firstly because it's seated on the right hand of the Father. Because of the incarnation, that is the primary reason why we are higher than any creature, any rational creature, all the archangels, cherubim, seraphim. In the human nature of our Savior, humanity is higher than all the created uh, uh, orders of angels, right? But also because the, uh, when human, human beings were created, they were in full image of God and also encapsulating in themselves the whole creation, both visible and invisible. The angels are only invisible. They don't contain themselves uh, a part of the, of the visible creation, but humans do. We have both soul and body. In us, is, is the, we are the, uh, the humans were created as the pinnacle, as the, as the kings of the whole creation, right? Uh, to be, partake, to be uh, that vessel in which God will become man in the end and fulfill the destiny of humans on being entirely united with God, which happened in our Savior. But angels, obviously, they're, they're, they're great uh, uh, spirits, but ministering, right? They're not seated at the right hand of the Father. They're ministers that go round about the throne of God. But 
the our Saviour's human nature is with him, with the good divinity unto eternity. That's how honoured human nature is, right? Far above the, uh, the, the, the angels and the archangels and the cherubim and the seraphim. Not only our Saviour's human nature, but the mother of God herself is higher up than all the angelic hosts. So much so that St. Gregory Palamas in his uh, homily on the Domitian says that every grace that the whole creation receives, not only us, but even the cherubim, the seraphim, they receive from our Savior through the Mother of God. She is the frontier between creation and the uncreated, between God and, and, and creaturehood, right? So, I mean, obviously, in, uh, in person of our Savior, that he has assumed human nature in the person of the mother of God, who is through whom he assumed the human nature. Uh, humanity is far above than 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 angelic hosts. Right. I get a little confused about the part of that that you mentioned, Vladi, because you said that God created man in His own image. Yeah. It doesn't mean that God has two eyes and a nose and no. a mouth. No. Well, yes and no, because God That's does have two eyes, me. and because He became incarnate, right after His but incarnation. But we're like a replica of. Well, some, some fathers say that since with God there is no time, right? That Adam was created an image of God incarnate. Do you understand? Oh. Uh, it it's, it okay. will take time to wrap mind around okay. it because it took me a lot of time. Right. But, but okay. uh, that's because, and that's why uh, Adam and our Savior were like twins. Oh, okay. Even I physically. See. Physically, okay. Christ is the new Adam. He's, yeah, he's the old Adam. He's, right. So our old Adam is created in the image of the new Adam, although uh, he came in time first and the other. Our Savior, knowing his incarnation, oh, I see. Okay. his incarnation right. doesn't, didn't depend on, on the fall and uh, certain historical events. Our Savior would become incarnate because that's the, that's the, re that's the way how creation becomes deified, right? So okay. uh, he created Adam in the image of his own incarnate uh, incarnation. That is, Adam is created in the image of Jesus. Hmm. I, I just have a hard time yeah. associating God, which is the absolute, with man who, who is the well, contingent but the absolute as having human form. But, but know, absolute just... became human. The eternal became human, right? Right, when Christ, so, the so exactly. Christ, so so the that's what I'm saying, that not only do, does do humans, uh, we are created... Uh, internally, that is, our mind right. and heart and our, our rational being, being in the image of God, right? Uh, that is, not physically, but our soul being a, a rational soul which has a mind which thinks and which that was created in the image of God because animals don't have it. Then right? who's the moving force behind creation? It's God the Father. What do you mean, moving uh, force behind? You know, the, who's creating? God, the whole, the whole create... Trinity is creating. God, Father, creating through the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Oh, I see. Okay, again, that so goes back to God yeah. being in three forms. Of course. No, no, it's, it's three persons. Three persons, three divinity. divine persons. Yeah, right. yeah. Okay. So, uh, that, that's, uh, that's an Athanasius uh, talks about that, how Adam was created in the image of uh, Jesus, right? That is, of our Savior. All the one became before the other, came in time before the other, right? It's it's that's it's powerful powerful stuff, <laughs> but but it's 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 right. very deep and right. it's entirely orthodox. Uh, the fathers talk about that. Okay. okay, so even in physical form, right? In that sense, right? Not that, not that God ha is anthropomorphic in his divinity. No, 
But God became man, and that's why we can say that even even Adam, even in physical form, was a image of 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 God's humanity, right? Instead. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. By the end of the talk, it will be there. Right. <laughs> okay, so does the second question yeah. about the angels, and I think it... Yeah, that helps answered. a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We all think well of ourselves and our opinions. How is it possible ever to come to the point where we truly think we are the worst of sinners? And if one comes to think he is nothing, how can he avoid falling into despair? Well, it's a good question, and that's why I have a good answer from Son Isaac, the Syrian. So let's see what Son Isaac says. So, the uh, um, first we have to understand, uh, humility is a gift, right, mm-hmm. that God gives. That's why to answer the first part of the question, how is it possible ever to come point where we truly think worst of ourselves? Humanly speaking, it's impossible, right? But our Savior tells us that, uh, you know, uh, uh, imitate me, be like me, because I am humble, uh, meek and humble of heart, right? Therefore, he who is truly humble is God himself. That is mm-hmm. an astounding statement. Uh, St. Simeon, the theologian, loved, uh, says that uh, constantly, that our God, God of the Christians, is a humble God, right? Therefore, Humans to be humble, it's the uh, peak of perfection. That is, being entirely like God. But it is a gift, right? It's given to, to people. One strives, one tries, one entirely, uh, you know, is sweats and blood, uh, bleeds for, uh, in order to attain to that. But humility in the end is a gift that God gives uh, to, to those who he knows that uh, have, have tried their, their best, mm-hmm. right? To attain there, that have not sought their own glory, but they sought the glory of God, right? Mm-hmm. They haven't sought their own good, but the, the good of their neighbor, right? And they've sought, and yes, they struggled, they fell many times, but in the end, because of their sweat and blood, God just you know poured into their heart that humility which He only possesses, mm-hmm. right? Because nobody is uh, as humble as our God, who being God became a man, a servant, uh, and, and was crucified and died for us, right? There is no greater humility than, than that. But to answer the second part of the question, you know, and if one comes to think he is nothing, how can he avoid falling into despair? So we have uh, great among the ascetics, Abba Isaac the Syrian. And I hope I haven't lost the marker. I, was, I read it last night. Oh, this is a real temptation. Oh, here it is. Because I, I looked for it, I marked it, I put a piece of paper in it, and I just can't find it now. Yeah. Uh, so, there's the homily five of uh, Abba Isaac the Syrian. Um, <coughs> As grace accompanies humility, so do painful incidents accompany pride. 
The eyes of the Lord are upon the humble to make them glad. Right? So that's the first answer that when us when when we try to be humble, it's our Savior that makes us glad, right? So when we think of nothing of ourselves, it's not that we leave ourselves empty. God is who pours grace in us to gladden us with consolation that is not of this world. That is, when we deplete ourselves from gladness of this world, mm. which brings vainglory, pride, you know, all the things that give sinful pleasure to soul and body, right? When we deplete ourselves of all that, right, by struggling, we don't remain empty. That space is filled by God's grace. He fills it and brings glad gladness and consolation which this world cannot bring, right? Mm. Humility always receives mercy from God, but hardness of heart and littleness of faith contend with fearful encounters until suddenly and unexpectedly disaster rises up against them and surrenders them to the speedy <coughs> destruction. If all, in all respects belittle yourself before all men, and you will be raised up above the princes of this age, anticipate every person with your greeting and your bow, and you will be more highly prized than those who bring the gold of, of Sophia as, as a gift. And now, this is the important part. Be contemptible in your own eyes, and you will see the glory of God in yourself. That is why there can't be despair with those who see themselves as worse than all, because it's God who comes and abides them in them, and gives gladness, consolation, and shines His glory, His glory in them, right? For where humility burgeons, there God's glory wells forth. If you, if you strive to be slighted openly by all men, God will cause you to be glorified. If you have humility in your heart, then in your heart God will show His glory. And then it continues, uh, on and on, you know. But this is the point that I wanted to make, right, right from this. Tell me. So if a humble man is not doing it purposely for God, is it also God will interfere without him knowing? Uh, can you repeat that? I didn't no, follow I that. Mean, if somebody like earthly, not a mm -hmm. Christian, Orthodox mm -hmm. person, is really humble, because we mm -hmm. see so many people that are out, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, do you think God interferes even if the person is not really doing that humility for God's sake? Uh, well, to to call to to quote right from Saint John the uh, uh, of the ladder, right of Sinai, he says it very clearly that true humility can exist only in the church. True humility, the ones that we are talking about here, right that is, perfection and humility, cannot exist outside the church. It does not, right? So yes, people uh, can, can more predispose towards uh, vainglory or pride or so forth, right? But that can be a, a natural trait in, in people, right? And of course, you can't discard that God is not... Uh, of course, he's, he can be acting in, in people and giving them, because he gives grace everywhere, right? Uh, of course, it, not sanctifying grace as in the church, in the, through the mysteries and through the salvific grace, but grace of aiding and, and bringing people to light. Of course, he's uh, acting everywhere. So it, it can be uh, a natural trait in people, right, that some are more 
you know, some more like are more predisposed to simplicity and meekness and 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 humility, and others are more predisposed to you know being belligerent and uh, a bit more high-minded and so forth, right? But this is not what we what we what Abai Isaac is talking talking about here is not natural traits that make us a bit more, a bit less. He's talking about the perfection of humility, right? In image of our Savior, who was perfectly humble, right? So that that what he's talking about here, right? Of entirely depleting ourselves from opinion about ourselves, right? Which are lies about ourselves, really, right? Is a gift from God that 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 is given to those who have sweated and 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 bled, uh, struggling as as Orthodox Christians, right? And that is no going around about it, right? That's the teaching of the church in in the ladder of divine ascent uh, st john the the of the ladder is emphatic about that that it it, it does not it, the gift of humility i'm talking about not a trait of humbleness gift of humility right exists in the church right that's given to the servants of god who have really have struggled and and have imitate our savior in in unto as much as possible for human being to do so right Okay. Now, the question number four. This is more uh, has to do with ecclesiastical matters. Uh, the Russian Church abroad is now united with Moscow Patriarchate, where many of the bishops are still former members of KGB. <laughs> they are believers in the atheist precepts of uh, communists, so forth. If these bishops repent, can they be? Can can they not be forgiven? Well, of course they can be forgiven. There is no doubt about it. We're not Donatists who say that, you know, because when somebody errs, he cannot be accepted back to the church. Everybody, I mean, if Peter was made uh, apostle even after denying our Savior thrice, right, and Paul became, you know, second great apostle after being a persecutor of the church, right, obviously everybody has, uh, 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 the church opens the door, everybody. But the, the, the certain requirements should be met, right, because... The, this is not, one cannot uh, fall into a heresy, and that's what surgeonism is. What the uh, uh, the bishops of the Moscow Patriarchate fell into was not a, a simple slip or simple mistake. It was a developed false teaching that you can actually sell your the conscience of the church to whoever is governing and give what belongs to God to Caesar. Right, and we're not talking about Caesar being sort of a neutral uh, Roman emperor who doesn't, uh, or you know, even we're talking about persecutor, right? Who is not even Caesar; he's a pharaoh, right? So, uh, if th since that is the and Sergianism is a heresy, there's no doubt. It's not simply a, a sort of a minor slip, and it's not a canonical uh, deficiency. It's a heresy which its own developed teaching. And it's, it's fruits of rotten fruits of heresy as well, where the pastors, the shepherds of the church, following this teaching, abandon their sheep to the slaughter. Not abandon them physically, but even, even in declarations that the people who were suffering persecution in the Soviet Union were not uh, persecuted for their faith, they were persecuted because they were counter-revolutionaries. That was the declaration of the Sergius and his followers. That is, they abandoned the Orthodox flock and sided with the persecutor. 
That is a developed teaching because it was declared, it was uh, sent out as letters, it was confessed in uh, World Council of Churches throughout the time that Moscow Patriarchate was participating, and they said that there is no religious persecution in the Soviet Union. That is, they were siding with the persecutor and doing the dirty work of the persecutor of cleaning up the blood after instead of siding with the people who were suffering, instead of siding with those who were confessors and martyrs, right? So that is a heresy, because it, 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 it just as ecumenism is a heresy, because it is a heresy against the, uh, the teaching of the church about herself. Ecumenism teaches that there is no one church. One holy Catholic apostolic church does not exist, right? Either it will be created when all the sects and denominations unite, or every single one of them is the one Holy Catholic. So no matter what they say, they contradict that the teaching of the Church about herself, that there is one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, which is the Orthodox Church of Christ, right? Just as they deny the uniqueness, the first article, right? One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, the Church, the Ecumenist. So the Surgeonism is another ecclesiological heresy which denies the holiness of the Church, that the church is not holy, it's just an organization, and it can side with whoever it wants just for the sake of, of surviving as an organization, right? But in the meantime, if it sells its own conscience, right, to the devil, it's, well, it's worth it because you have to survive as an organization. So that is a heresy against the teaching that the church is holy, that you cannot, it cannot be bargained for, it cannot be sold, it cannot, you, ca- you cannot give holiness which belongs to God, to, the, to, to Caesar, right? Not even Caesar, Pharaoh, right? So, surgeonism is a heresy. Now, why I'm saying that? It's important because those who repent from heresy, it can't be that they come and say confession to their spiritual father, and that is enough. No, heresy was declared publicly, it should be repented of publicly. So if any of the bishops of the Moscow Patriarch wants to, wants to come to the true church, it can't be done by simply confessing privately the sin. They should renounce the heresy publicly, condemn the, the head of it, Sergius, who was the head of this heresy, and anathematize him like the church has done, right? After that, yes, absolutely, the church will then decide in what form to receive a per, uh, that person, through hirotasia or simply confession of faith is uh, enough or so forth. But without that, it can't, it can't be done. Heresies are proclaimed publicly. Seventy years it was proclaimed, but it's still proclaimed publicly. And I think uh, soon Moscow Patriarchate will actually make Sergius a saint. That's how my, yeah, uh, I have no doubt about that. Uh, so it can't be, uh, uh, it can't be, uh, rip- heresy can't be proclaimed uh, publicly and repented of privately. It doesn't work like that. Okay. So that's that question. Why does God give some people more grace than others? Now, that, well, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> right? Because God so decides it. And I don't think it's uh, arbitrary. We should never think that God acts mm. arbitrarily that he simply wills to give some grace to some and less grace to others and medium grace to third. No, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. No, it, God gives grace according to uh, the, the, the receiving side, right? How, and in his wisdom as well. 
Saint, uh, Saint John the, uh, uh, of, of, of the latter also says that, you know, in uh, God knowing he's knower of hearts and he knows best uh, the disposition of man, his, uh, how much strength he, spiritual strength he has at the beginning of his spiritual life in the middle and the end. So he knows best when to give how much and it's never either deficient or too much, right? Well, yeah, grace, too much grace, it's always good, right? But what I'm saying is that it's always with the, uh, in, in view of the ability of the receiver, right? How much he has tried, how much, uh, uh, you know, uh, stamina, spiritual stamina he has, how much patience, how much, you know, pride. If he, somebody's given grace straight away, then he can, it can be to his destruction, right? And somebody who is not, it can be to his despair, Right, so it it's uh, he Saint John the uh, of the ladder says it nicely that you know some when they enter the monastery he's talking about those who have renounced the world and entered into the monastic life that you know some have uh, some uh, you know need grace right from the beginning and God gives them abundance of grace at the beginning and they're not high-minded about themselves and they can deal with it and continue like that and that's to their profit. Others he he gives them bit by bit, right, so that they don't become overwhelmed by their own selves and lose it, right? To others, he gives nothing at the beginning, right? And he, he, they're so strong in their, you know, gives, obviously, gives something because without grace we can't do anything, right? But mm -hmm. he gives the, the fullness of, of, of you know, uh, prizes uh, uh, at the end once they have struggled because they were so, so you know, motivated uh, themselves. So it's according to God's uh, providence and his uh, dispensation. But everybody receives uh, whatever is the best for our salvation, right? So no, God is not uh, arbitrary. God does not act arbitrarily. God is our God is a righteous God. He acts righteously, right? Father, on the subject of grace, is there like um, it just made me think? Are there is like there is there no grace in the heterodox churches, even though? It's a, it depends what grace we are talking about. If we're talking about grace in terms of Holy Spirit filling yes. all mm -hmm. things, of course, grace is everywhere. The creation right. is filled with grace because without the, the, the Holy Spirit, nothing can be sustained. That's the creative grace. Right. Uh, but, but if we're talking about the sanctifying grace right. in the mysteries, right. only the, uh, they, they, can ex they exist only in the church because the mysteries belong to Christ. Mm, right. They're his. Mysteries are he. Uh, in baptism, in uh, Eucharist, in chrismation, we, okay. it's, it, they're Christ's. They're, right, they're windows right. to him, right? So they exist yeah. only where his body is, and his body is the church, right? right? right. So no, the, the, of course there is no sanctifying grace in the mystery. There are, no, there is no sanctifying grace because there are no mysteries mm. outside the church, right? right. But of course there is grace of, of God acting right, in everybody right, in order to enlighten them, to bring them to I'm, church and so right. forth, right? Absolutely. So uh, that, that's, that's uh, does that answer the question about the grace? Yeah. What is an accurate meaning of the word nous? Some translations from Greek use the word and others don't. Books that use it are hard to understand. Yeah, nous usually is translated as the mind, right? Mm. Now, the mind not in the sense of the brain and not in the sense of logical reasoning. Mind is something else. Uh, it's, it's a spiritual organ that, that humans possess. 
that through which it comes into communion with God, right? That is different from reasoning, mm. our logical reasoning, deliberation, right? We say 2 plus 2 is 4, that's not mind, that's reasoning, acting, right? Mm. Mind is the eye of the soul, right? It's the eye of the heart through which we are in communion with God and which needs to be reined in. That the problem with human humans is that the mind, instead of being collected into the heart, which is the center of the whole being, both physical and spiritual of human beings, right? The heart. Mind is dispersed entirely. Instead of, instead of being collected in the heart and, deliber- and only beholding God, right? Because we see God who reveals himself to the mind that is collected entirely and in its natural, uh, let's say, place, right? Uh, space. Uh, it's entirely scattered, scattered because of it, 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 because of the fall when we fell from, from grace because of the fall of Adam, right? The our human abilities, natural spiritual abilities, became all distorted. So mind, instead of being collected in the heart and beholding God, that's what Adam had before the fall. That's all what the all the saints have as well. That's why that's how God spoke with Adam in paradise. His mind was, the eye of the heart was entirely collected and, and beholding God, right? Mind became subject to the lower uh, uh, cap- uh, abilities of, of a human being. That is, reasoning and senses. So that is why uh, a mind, instead of being entirely uh, you know, swallowed by God, it actually is, sometimes it's subject to our logical reasoning, that is, our deliberations, our brain, or even lower to our senses, right? Mm. And that is why the senses are able to take over human being, although we know that it's, it's bad for us. Passions are something that draws us away from God, and yet we're unable to resist it because our mind has been mm. powerless to, to, uh, to it's, basically it's not clean, it's been taken over by passions, right? And the same uh, logical reasoning as well. That, that is, can be, a, a, it is an obstacle to uh, progress to God if the mind is not over it, right? But rather is subject to it, right? That's why if you read Abba Isaac, he talks about three degrees of knowledge and he talks about the, the most natural is, is the uh, our deliberation, uh, the, our reasoning. Then comes simply learning about the faith through our reasoning. And the final one is when God enlightens us by enlightening the mind, right? That, that is by by grace taking hold of mind and teaching directly uh, of the of the precepts and the commandments of God instead of us learning through books or uh, you know other other means so mind is uh, noose as it says here can be translated into mind in english right that that's the and okay one thing we should understand that you know fathers didn't develop a systematic anthropology right that that you know every word is in, entirely, uh, every term is entirely explained, and this is what it means. Fathers at different times used uh, ch- terms interchangeably, depending on the context of what they're talking about, depending on the linguistic tradition that they were uh, of the audience, right? So sometimes they use mind and heart interchangeably, sometimes heart and spirit interchangeably. Sometimes, you know. It can be uh, the, the reasoning and mind that, that have different meanings. It depends on what is the context they're talking about and who they are talking to. But in most cases, uh, um, uh, the noose, which is the, 
the, the purest part of the soul, which is the eye of the soul, is, is, can be translated uh, as, as mind, right? And mind is the, the difference between mind and reasoning. I just said one is logical deliberation and other is a, a, a spiritual uh, organ of, of our soul with which, through which we come into vision of, of God, right? Uh, this uh, St. Gregory Palamas has an interesting, uh, thank you, uh, way of explaining uh, that soul possesses heart and mind. And the heart is the essence of the soul, and the mind is the energy of the soul, right? So energy being that the soul has, uh, the, has the heart being the innermost part and the most central part of our being, uh, heart is the essence, right, of the soul. And the activity of the heart, right? That is, it's, it's power of, of, of uh, activity in relation to God uh, is, is the mind, right? So I know it's a bit confusing, but uh, don't worry about it, right? Just know that, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, we, we are, th that the means by which we are coming to communion with God and with what the, how the saints came to communion with God is not through logical thinking. It's through mind, which is which should be above, right? Uh, logical and far above, above the senses, right? So, does that answer uh, even a bit? So I guess the word nous in Greek—that's why they use it so often in books. Because, because it's so not an English equivalent. Exactly, that's why. Because mind brings other associations in English, right? And th that's why sometimes they just translate nous in in uh, straight transliterate rather into English books. So that it's understood that when we're when we're talking uh, that that it's something else other than brain and reasoning that we're talking about. Because mind always seems like an intellectual. Thing. Exactly. That's why. That's why. But I think we should come to terms as Orthodox Christians that when we when we use mind in religious sense that it shouldn't that sh that is not what we're talking about. Not intellect. Not brain. Not reasoning. But something uh, above it. Right. And that it made easy for me actually to use mind in religious, theological uh, sense, just for that purpose. Right? Oh, so you just sort of redefine the word mind. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So for our use, right, oh, that we use yeah. it as a noose, and that's it. I have a difficulty redefining, because to me, I yeah. always think of the mind is from where your analytical faculties no, that, emanate from the mind. That, that's that's what is, it's not. That's yeah. the trouble. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the trouble, yeah. right. The analytical part, it's, it's, right. it's another. It's brain, it's reasoning, it's something that should right. be, mind should be above, right? But uh, the rationalism in theology, that's the problem with it. It right. puts yeah. analytical above the mind, which, up, which apprehends the, the divine directly, right. without analysis. Right. Oh, okay. That's what now, now it makes sense. That's what is also yeah. mentioned as the, as the eyes of the soul. Eye of the eyes soul. Eyes of the soul. Yeah, that's, yes. that's, that's, that's important. Okay. It's not deliberative. Eye of the soul that's simply right. beholds straight away, right? That, that's the, that's that the mind, right? The eye of the soul is the means through which the apostles saw the light of transfiguration, right? It wasn't through their brains, Right. analysis, neither was there through their senses, right? right? It was something above those two, which was the mind of the of the soul, uh, eye of the soul, which is the mind. That's the, why they saw the light, because that was opened to them, right? Because right. the light, light that they saw is uncreated light, and therefore invisible to 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 uh, corporeal the eyes, yeah, or to the, oh. even so more so to deliberation, right? The same thing happened to Saint Paul, right? Yes, absolutely. The, the light that he saw was through the right. eye of the of the heart, the, uh, the that is the mind, right?
Does that make sense? Yeah. A bit. <laughs> okay. Now, this is the question uh, relating to linguistics. How did the difference in meaning arise in the hymn that we chant at Vespers, i.e. in Russian, that is, the Fosilaron, which is mm. the joyous light? In Russian, it was translated into Svetetichi, which is quiet light, right? So, I will direct a question to our Russian uh, specialist, Matushka <laughs> Anastasia, to tell us about it. No, I'm asking the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, okay, right. Um, to be honest, uh, I think it was a slight linguistic uh, error in translation. In which in Russian, In Russian. Russian. Yeah. Because fosilaron into a, I mean, in Greek means joyous, gladsome light, and in every uh, 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 language it was translated as such. But in Russian, in Slavonic, for some reason, it was translated as a quiet light. Well, maybe it, it, in those days when it was translated, quiet also meant joyous, but it doesn't. It, peaceful, yeah, but it maybe. Yeah, but. But, yeah, but it, there are other, the problem arises because there are other words in Russian that, uh, that really uh, correspond to the Greek ilaron, right? Uh, and, but maybe that's what they used at that time. But today, tihi means just plain quiet, right? Tihi don. Quiet Yeah, quiet. But it's, 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 uh, uh, yeah, uh, the quiet light, right? So there's even an explanation that, you know, some people get enthusiastic about explaining the mystical, uh, symbolical side to things. So they say, well, because it says quiet light, it should be chanted quietly. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you know it, that's not the case, really, you know. <laughs> but anyways. So I, I, it either could be a simply... Uh, and not the best word used at the time, or maybe that this word tihi had had uh, you know double meaning. Like you know today, for example, word in Russian, krasny, uh, is red, right? Mm -hmm. In the old days, it meant beautiful, yeah, krasivy, yeah, right? So it could be that, but so maybe laron had more meaning, more connotations too. Uh, well, then into Armenian, into Latin, into Georgian, they would translate in something similar, but they oh, didn't, oh. right? So, but let's use it with the meaning that we know, that it's joy-bringing light. Yes. Okay. You know those guys in Syria and the 30s, they translated absolutely everything about nine months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so they probably made a few mistakes. <laughs> I think this is later. I, I think doesn't, it doesn't go to the, or their original translations. Yeah, I wonder, wonder why they did. <laughs> Anyways, number eight. If one can't learn humility with obe without obedience, which is true, how, what does one living alone in the world do? Uh, be obedient. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. Uh, that's why, actually, that in, in this consists, the, the answer to this consists in, uh, um, in, in, in what many spiritual fathers always um, advise us, right? That either to choose either to, to uh, marry or to become monastics at, uh, in, our, in our life, right? Mm. Because remaining alone uh, is always devoids us of the blessings of obedience, 
right? Because when we marry, uh, we don't belong to ourselves anymore, right? We belong to our spouse and to our children, to our family, right? And we can't simply be thinking of ourselves. We should take into account and be obedient to the interests of the people with whom we share our life as a yoke, not just share life as neighbors, right? As a yoke, we, we, have, we have the same yoke, right? So that brings, that is obedience in the house, as spouses, right? And that is why it is a blessing. It's a means of salvation. That's why marriage is a means of sanctification, because it brings obedience, which means cutting our own will, and it's through cutting of our own will that we arrive to humility, right? Mm. The same is, the house is a small monastery, right? Because the same thing is done in the monastery, when a person goes and gives up his own will in favor of the will of of his abbot and brethren right so it's the same concept it's the same means but different settings right mm. the the what is important in both cases is casting of our own will in favor of obedience right so that is why uh, they always advise us the fathers right to do one or the other if we remain alone we uh, lose the blessings of obedience right we are always free to do our own will and that's not the best right but not that it's impossible of course not even people who live alone in the world they have their spiritual fathers or they should have their spiritual fathers right to whom they should show obedience right mm. in cutting their will and doing as they tell uh, as they as they tell them and of course we have commandments and precepts of the church right that uh, we uh, are supposed to be obedient to them so uh, it, nobody, the, the, if one wants to, when there is will, there is way, right? Uh, if one wants to, he will find the means of being obedient in spiritual things, right? Mm. If one doesn't want to, even if he lives his own life in the monastery, he won't be, right? Mm. So it's not, nobody is devoid of the, of the possibility of being obedient to his spiritual father, to his neighbor. The fathers of the desert fathers, they would be obedient to whoever asked them to do something uh, for them, right? They were in service of others. And that's how they trained themselves, because if they didn't have their own, uh, uh, they didn't live as part of a monastic community, they would go out and some would go out and search out the, uh, the, the sick and the maimed to care for them, right? And to do their will instead of their own. And that way, uh, passed from one service to the other, that is, way, that is, they pass their whole life in cutting their own will, not doing what they wanted, but always trying to put themselves in a position there where not their will, but the uh, will of God would be done through doing the will of another person, right? Can yeah. you do that also through your job? You can train in that in everything. Everything. I mean, you can... Means of salvation are all around us, right? If we pick up and simply use it to write uh, for the right purpose, right? It can the most uh, un, uh, unexpected thing can become a means of us practicing virtue, right? So work, of course. I mean, if you want to uh, at work, if we if we put ourselves in a position that we shall be, you know, we shall train ourselves in in uh, obedience and simply doing what others. Uh, are asking and simply cutting our will and what is pleasurable to us, right? That's an excellent way of doing it. Uh, you know, people put themselves in uh, situations where 
they uh, care for others. Right? They, they, choose, they don't have anybody to care for, but they put themselves at the service of others, right? To mm -hmm. care for them and to be, uh, to be uh, in, the, in that sense, not, not at their own disposal, right? Now, we have to be careful about that, not to uh, take upon ourselves more than we can do, right, at the same time. Because it, it, many times it can be motivated not out of real desire to cut our will, but simply by, you know, uh, tapping ourselves on the shoulder that, you know, we're doing a great work or something like that. And that's where we will really find out soon how weak we are <laughs> in not being able to perform what we undertook, right? So that's why we... Before we undertake anything, that's why we need to be obedient and ask a blessing, right? To, to uh, run it through somebody who is experienced, right? Yeah. Does that explain? Yeah. Okay. okay, this is my favorite. Once in the past, someone asked why fun isn't part of being orthodox. Is fun or pleasure a Christian concept? I don't know who it was, but, you know, I have a lot of fun. <laughs> being, being, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I've, look, living at the monastery, I've, I've discovered more, encountered more curious and anecdotal situations in the monastery than anywhere <laughs> in my life, right? And it's a subtle humor, and it's a subtle uh, way of, uh, you know, being... Uh, joyful right uh, and it, it is fun the fun is not there is, is bad when it leads us to sin which leads us to worldliness not particularly to one sin but simply takes us away from from our uh, spiritual state of mind and leads us to the world right and when it's harmful for others and when it takes over and it's without measure right but otherwise we're supposed to be joyful. And joy, and I mean, is is not uh, is, is is a joy that comes obviously from from a spiritual state, right? But also uh, flows over into into the uh, uh, into into daily uh, lives, right? So in lives of saints, you find will find very many funny situations, right? Uh, but they're funny in a in a edifying way, right? Not in worldly way. Right, not uh, a sort of uh, uh, a way that you know will bring embarrassment or shame, or you will notice in your heart that is really drawing you away from sort of uh, settled good uh, humor <laughs> into something that is lewd or something that is you know just worldly in in every sense, right? But lives of saints contain uh, plenty, plenty of very funny. Uh, funny uh, uh, incidents. I mean, if you ever come across, read, read the, 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 the miracles of, of great Mother Artemis. Uh, we read it at his, <laughs> at his uh, uh, feast day at the monastery, and from the first year that I ever listened to it, I had to contain myself not to burst out laughing, right, at the f funny incidents that are in, his, in the miracles of great Mother Artemis, right? There's also of great master Minas, how uh, in his miracles there are very, very, you know, just anecdotal, uh, comical situations even, but they're wholesome, right? They're wholesome. Uh, that, that fun is wholesome, right? And all who have met a metropolitan Ephraim, 
<laughs> will know, right? That cracking the jokes is how he starts, how he ends. Right? So uh, be, that is being orthodox doesn't mean being humorless, right? Actually, I've noticed that every time I've encountered people or setting a, a, a group of people where humor is is absent, I found that something was wrong there, right? It's it, something is wrong because either they're forcing themselves something or they are simply uh, something's not right uh, mentally also but you know humor is part of of of, of uh, but wholesome right and we need to uh, personally and I'm, I'm sure all of you can notice straight away in your in your heart right when humor is within the bounds or whether it's outside right so that is enough to tell us right that you know humor should be there but within the limits, within the place and the time, and it should be, you know, uh, uh, it should have, uh, it shouldn't have any any sort of uh, wilderness about it. No, of course not. No, 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 no. No, it sh it should never it should never trample anybody's conscience, right, including our own, because many times we might find something funny to say, and then it turns out that we it comes back to us. As you know, really, was it worth, you know, making this an object of of uh, uh, of you know fun or this and that? So that's why uh, it it needs uh, discernment, right? Discernment. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, um, now about it says here about the last part of the question it says is fun or pleasure a Christian concept? Uh, pleasure is is something else, right? Uh, we should differentiate from one another joy and pleasure they're two different things right joy is spiritual when and pleasure pleasure is is not something that we uh, in, in, i mean it's 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 not joy right most of the time uh, when we say pleasure it might initiate something harmless right but it has something passionate about it it always does right so Pleasure, in the end, ends up as, as a detriment to us spiritually. In fact, uh, pleasure is the means by which uh, we are, you know, enslaved to, to sin. Passions. That, passions, right? And that is the means by which, you know, devil exercises its power over us, right? Through uh, want of pleasure, seeking pleasure constantly. St. Maximus the Confessor has... Uh, a very beautiful uh, way of explaining how two uh, there's a dichotomy in in human uh, beings how uh, pain and pleasure pain and pleasure right both of them acting in us make us be slaves of 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 sin and death and I'll explain how that works uh, human beings they Ever since we became mortal, St. Maximus says, we flee death as much as we can. We want to flee it because we feel it deep down in ourselves that we are mortal and we don't like it. <laughs> Obviously, because it's not natural, right? God did not create death. It's something that we brought it upon ourselves. And in order to flee death and its harbinger, which is pain, death starts with pain and ends with separation of soul and body. So every pain that we feel, you know, whether inwardly, emotionally, psychologically, or physically, is a, a form of death. It's a form of corruption that is working with us, right? We try to flee from it as much as we can, 
and we think that by we, we will be able to dull this the sharpness of this pain by fleeing to pleasure mm-hmm. right and that is the big trick that the devil is preying on us because the pleasure will not dull the pain of of death but rather will, will make us even more liable li- liable to to death because pleasure and sin which follows it right make us even more debtors to death because the wages of sin is death right we we it's it's like a vicious circle right we flee we we death came because we sinned death came into the world because adam because seeking pleasure in in doing what the 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 the, the devil had suggested to him of becoming gods without god you know the first sin of tasting of the of the of the fruit forbidden fruit right was to seek pleasure so through pleasure of sin came death into the world right mm-hmm. and the rest of the humanity is trying to flee death and it flees to pleasure which makes it even more liable to death right so it's a vicious circle i mean atrocious uh, only the devil could think of of inventing such a such a servitude such slavery in which uh, we, we fell that's why pleasure is is uh, leads us makes us even more liable to that makes corruption and pain even more rooted in us right because the uh, consequence of pleasure illicit pleasure that is of sin is is death that is the end of it because sin is separation from god and whatever he separates from god ends up dying because god is the source of life right i mean these are powerful concepts right but we should understand that there's this uh, vicious circle between death and pleasure i mean pain and pleasure death and 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 sin in which we're all uh, you know moving and the only one who broke it was our savior because he uh, rose from the dead he destroyed the dominion of death over human nature right and he uh, by by destroying the root of our problem right uh, he he uh, allows us to snap out from this from this uh, uh, vicious circle if you want to listen to 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 know more about this topic i gave a talk in toronto uh, uh, two months ago and it's uploaded so you can listen i i go in great detail about this topic there right and you can read my uh, the uh, pascal encyclical for this year and last year they both deal on this uh, subject from two different perspectives right yeah <coughs> The basic uh, pleasure is food, and so we shouldn't really not uh, seek uh, uh, refined food. Or no, of course not. That's why gluttony is, is sin, right? And gla- from gluttony comes other pleasures, and from those other pleasures, other pleasures. So that's why you know we should just be happy with whatever we're given, right? You know, it, it's not that it's not that eating is sin. It's not. It's not that you know wanting to eat healthy is sin. It's not right. But when we overindulge ourselves and become slaves of it, right? Let allow the passion to dominate us without us being even able to 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 to, to fight back, right? That that is a that is a sin, of course it is, and that that many t- is 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 called gluttony, right? <laughs> Just as you know, if you're truly <laughs> not only you, Paul. Don't worry, we share in the same. <laughs> but, <laughs> But uh, of course it is, and that's where comes all the ascetical treaties of the fathers, right? When they talk about the, 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 the seven or eight principal passions, right, or vices, and the virtues that contra 
counteract against them. That's well into all comes play, right? If you mm. notice, uh, you know that that's that's what they try to explain how to fight against those things that, um, in some cases, they're harmless. But uh, what stands beside behind them once it becomes passionate, right? So we are all afflicted with those uh, passions, you know, gluttony or or you know, vainglory or you know, uh, so forth. I mean, since in, uh, the saints wrote volumes and volumes on trying to explain how to str struggle against them. And the struggle is that into resisting this illicit sinful pleasure in order not to be slave of, of, of passion and thus making corruption uh, from which we're trying to flee even more rooted in us, right? Because more we become slaves of passions, more corruptible we are inwardly and it affects outwardly, uh, physical as well. So that explains the frequent fasts that we have. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Without fasting, there's no way anybody can be saved. Fasting is, true fasting right. especially, it's cutting off that pleasure, right? Okay. It's so that we don't flee to pleasure uh, in order to escape, because naturally we are so, uh, so uh, sort of timorous and, and I mean afraid of death and pain that so unconsciously we flee to everything that is pleasurable in this life, thinking instinctively that this pleasure will dull the pain, right? But no, it doesn't. It makes us even more corruptible, more susceptible to uh, corruption. The, out, the way out of death is actually dying to the world and following our Savior in His cross and the resurrection. That's, way, that's how we dull both, we, we defeat both death and uh, sin, and uh, both pain and pleasure. And, and that's how we snap out from this... From this uh, from this uh, uh, vicious circle. But can we enjoy like food? But, I mean, as long as we don't. Yeah, of course you can enjoy yeah, food. Like yeah, just, like just as you enjoy food, nice weather, right? Just yeah. as you enjoy those are harmless things, right? But uh, that's why I said that we should uh, read, for example, every every uh, year we read uh, what Saint John of the Ladder has to tell us, right? Uh, so, you know, to have to develop that discernment of what is. Uh, passionate and what is harmless, right? Uh, how to, and if we have something passionate, to work on it, right? And if it's something harmless, then not to castigate us ourselves without need for it, right? So, uh, of course, uh, enjoying uh, food is 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 good. There's nothing wrong about it, as long as it doesn't become gluttony, right? Uh, that we become we don't become slaves of food and we don't do uh, the, the, we don't give more importance to food at the expense of uh, other more important things, right? Mm. Especially our spiritual state of being. So, uh, yeah, it's it's good to enjoy cooking. That's fine. That's fine. But... Yeah, I thought I was just giving an excuse. Never cook again. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> doesn't work like that. Okay, and the last question is... <clears throat> What is the meaning of the 15 readings on, of the Old Testament and on Holy Saturday during the uh, uh, Vespers with the liturgy of St. Basil the Great? Well, they're all related to what we are already entering into celebrating on Holy Saturday, which is the resurrection, the coming of our Savior's resurrection. So all the uh, readings, starting from the uh, fleeing from Egypt and crossing the Red Sea, which is the type of Pascha, of Passover, from Egypt of this world into, into the, uh, our Savior's uh, taking us out from 
uh, Hades into into heavenly kingdom. Uh, you know, uh, the the uh, Jonas's whole story is there, and that is the type also of our Savior being three days in Hades, in in the dead, as in Jonas was three days in the belly of of the whale, and so all of them are related somehow, not somehow directly, with the resurrection of our Savior, the coming of the new covenant, right, from the prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah, of uh, preaching of the gospel to. The, the nations, all of them are related to the feast. And the final is obviously the triumphant chant of the three children in the fiery furnace of Babylon because it's the most triumphant of all the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the ch- hymns and songs of the Old Testament, right? How they brought, uh, sort of enlisted the whole creation to, to chant with them uh, in, in God's mercy of, of delivering from them from the fiery furnace, right? So all the, the significance of them is in that, in the content, right? That they all direct us uh, to prepare us for what is what is uh, ha- is happening. That we are entering uh, in the uh, celebration of the resurrection, right? But uh, there's also a practical <laughs> side to it. Uh, that uh, wh- why 15? Why so many? Right? Well, the practical side, the, the mystical side, is that they simply there this and even far more. Uh, uh, prophecies of the Old Testament that can be read, but the practical side is that the no, Holy Saturday was the day when most of the catechumens were baptized in the church. So the baptism took place uh, during the Vespers with the with the uh, uh, with the liturgy of Saint Basil the Great. So if there were many, well, you needed more time, right? So <laughs> so they put one. Uh, a prophecy after another, not that they're out of place, you could add even more, but it takes uh, at least uh, uh, half an hour to read all this prophecy, even more, right, maybe 40 minutes, so that's when the bishop would baptize all the catechumens who were already exercised and who were ready there, he would dunk as, as many as he could during that uh, time, so he needed a bit of time, so maybe sometime there were just three, and the bi- one bishop said, well, why don't you read a bit more, I, I still have five catechumens to, <laughs> to, to baptize, and another, some other time said, well, you know, make it ten uh, readings, and uh, I have <laughs> some more to baptize, so in the end we ended up with fifteen, right, but so it's, it's very uh, sweet how in the church the, there's always mystical and practical complement each other, right, many of the things that uh, we have mystical, uh, symbolical uh, explanation to, right? Started as, as practical uh, things that were needed, right? Uh, and it's, it's, there's, a, there's certain sweetness about it, how, how things work, right, in the church. So that's the reason. That's the significance of the 15 uh, readings in the uh, Holy Saturday. And I think that's the last question. Oh, there was one other one. Wait, what was it here? What is the best way to deal with disruptions during liturgy? Uh, <coughs> people making noise, talking. Well, I don't know. I mean, I I really don't know how to <laughs> how to answer that because I mean, there's a strict way. There is more sort of softer way. There's you can come out with a cane. Uh, that, or you I can, like sim- <laughs> <laughs> or you know, uh, I, I, I really don't. Um, uh, the best way always is to try to reason with people, right? Mm. Try to make them 
uh, understand that you know uh, this this is out of all seven days at least Sunday let's entirely dedicate it to the church to the service of the church and if if we can't you know keep quiet and concentrated during that hour and a half two hours in the liturgy then what are we really taking away from the church you know when we when we the priest says in peace let us depart right at the end of the mm. liturgy the fathers explain that that is the sign of us taking whatever we received in the church out to the world right and that sus spiritual sustenance both for ourselves and everybody will come across us in this life right that should uh, that that's what we take out in the world to to with with us as a as a as a gift right uh, until next sunday so if during that time in the church we were not there to receive the gifts right because our mind was somewhere else we were talking we were you know being uh, noisy just not there uh, in in uh, mind and and uh, also behavior then what are we taking i mean what did we take for ourselves and what are we expect to uh, give to others right nothing yes i think that people who distract me in church uh -huh. are teaching me that i'm an easily distracted preacher that's a very good point that actually <laughs> that's a very good that's what i actually try to do myself because i i will get distracted by that's that's a good one so uh, thank you for saying that uh, I myself for example in the altar uh, if uh, you know altar uh, boys or something they're being a bit uh, noisy I'll try as much as I can not to be distracted right uh, try and you know force myself not to because say hey look if it wasn't this there's something else would distract you right so the problem really is in you right but afterwards right Oh, if if I see that somebody has become uh, has acquired a habit of of distracting uh, others, or has become uh, you know just uh, he's not helping himself, right? Then I will have a uh, talk, right, about uh, about that how to be quiet and so forth. But after the church, always, never during the services. You think you can talk to the <laughs> 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 No, this does not apply to kids. I mean, kids. Ch no, 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 not children. Children should be noisy. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, I myself get get very distracted, especially during the sermons. I a, any little I movement can just disrupt my train of thought, right? So I have to be, you know, careful where I look and who who I look at and so forth. I've had some very funny, later funny, because at the time it's not wasn't funny at all, right? Uh, some people just get uh, distracted and are distracted, but we have to be patient, right, and deal with that after the church, right? And unless somebody is bringing the ceiling down, right, that's that's different. But uh, never to never to make uh, uh, that that an occasion for us to get involved and you know be uh, come across as harsh uh, with somebody, you know, to why can't you be quiet to this and that? We won't gain anything from it, right? will gain less from it than the distraction that we are suffering, right? Mm -hmm. That distraction won't accuse our conscience. But being coming across and as, as harsh with somebody because we couldn't, because, yes, he was, I mean, he was guilty or she was guilty or because he was no, noisy, that uh, sort of biting of the conscience will, will, uh, will bother us far more during the liturgy than... Uh, of us having having uh, having been quiet and patient 
in uh, listening to, uh, I mean, not being, trying not to be dis uh, distracted, right? I so, think it's with me, it's my, more my attention span, like, for example, during the readings, yeah. which are very long. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> kind of hard. I, I understand no, everybody has this, but, but we have to we have to try us uh, if right. we have exhausted all everything every means of us being concentrated then right. yes maybe after church we can ask the priest to maybe you know uh, deal with the situation and so forth i would always advise never to go straight away to the person never mm. you know it, it it will never be taken it, how much we try to be kind and nice and uh, soft it will never be taken because it's not just the person we're dealing with but with the devil as well right mm -hmm. so he will always try to present something as what it's not right so always to go to the priest and if he feels that it's a valid then we should leave that to his discretion as well right and not to expect that just because we told him uh, he will go and you know scold somebody and so forth right maybe it's just not meant to be and we just have to struggle with that right mm -hmm. so that's uh, yeah, tell me. Uh, I had a question, but I didn't write it down. Um, so in your sermon in Carlisle, right. you mentioned that our prayers for the repose mm -hmm. can, um, they can receive forgiveness sure. for their sins. Sure. So <coughs> a lot of us are converts, mm -hmm. and a lot of us have people that in our family or our people that we love mm -hmm. who aren't orthodox. Mm -hmm. So does that apply? Of course it does. Them? For and everybody. How, how do we pray for them? In our private prayers, we should never underestimate the. That is uh, such a uh, ancient and you know integral uh, part of church church's teaching of about the repose that we should pray for everybody, right? Just as we pray for all the living, you know. I mean, in the liturgy of Saint Basil the Great, especially. It's uh, the, you notice that the the melodies are extended, right? In the liturgy of Saint Basil the Great, uh, they're not usual melodies that we use for the liturgy of Saint John Chrysostom. That's because the extended uh, span of the melodies of the responses from the choir is because the prayers in the liturgy of Saint Basil are three, four times longer than in the liturgy of Saint. Uh, uh, John Chrysostom and the longest prayer that there is after the consecration of the gifts right it's all enumeration of for whom the, uh, we're asking right you know the, uh, it's, it's a, a, a normal just how much the, the church wants to pray for everybody right uh, publicly for the members of the church those who are in authority those who are in in in, in uh, you know army in prisons in hospitals journeying this it's enumerating one of them and in the end St. basil uh, it's his prayers he wrote them it says you know and you know if, if we forgot the names because of the multitude <laughs> of them and because our forgetfulness you know the need and name of uh, all so you uh, have mercy on them right so the church constantly prays and we should as well living dead uh, especially those for whom we can't pray in church we should pray double <laughs> in our private prayers right whether it doesn't matter who who they were god are, works wonders right because he's god but he but he, he our prayers are needed there because something very mystical something very important happens when we pray for somebody right we don't know how exactly it works but they receive a lot of benefits a lot of benefit from our prayers, right? So 
uh, I was talking at, at Carlisle, and it was the gospel of uh, about the the uh, paralytic who was healed, who was brought on the uh, yeah on the um, there was no place to and bring him in the house where our Savior was. So the people that were bringing him, they lifted up the roof mm-hmm. and 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 you know uh, sort of uh, descended him like that. And the words of our Savior, you know, they escape, escape our minds sometimes because we think it's the usual words he's saying, you know, thy son, thy uh, sins forgiven thee, or, you know, if uh, do you believe that uh, you, uh, I can heal you and so forth. Something very special is happening in this particular uh, dialogue of our Savior. Uh, and it, it is spe- it's special because it says in the Gospel that our Savior, seeing their faith, the faith of those people who were helping this man, he tells to this man, thy sins are forgiven thee. He's not telling to this man for his faith, for the faith of the others. Right? So that tells us that something is very powerful happening when people are care for others in their prayers. I mean, if, if our Savior is forgiven the sins of this man because those men carried him, well, the same is in spiritual sense, right? That when we pray for somebody, we are caring about them, right? We are lifting him and pulling him down to our Savior's feet from the, from the roof, right? And seeing our faith, how much we cared about that person, our Savior will do miracles for, for that soul, right? Tell me. I know we are not supposed to do Kolima or say uh, special for the reposed who are not orthodox. But can we do mercy meals? And of course, you can do. You can charity first and foremost. Charity for the repose that uh, you know we uh, it can be done for anyone, right? Uh, to distribute for the to the poor, for example, right? Food or, or or clothing in the name of that person who reposed. Or to to for for to share just a, a meal for with anybody a mercy meal that's what it is right uh, uh, therefore uh, it can be done absolutely yeah but so it's only in your intention you say you know it's in the yes path. absolutely uh, that you are use uh, accompany your your deed with a prayer right and it it uh, that that you ask our savior that you know uh, accept this on behalf of this person right yeah. Let's not limit limit God's God's mercy, right? We know that there is no salvation without the church, mm. right? But how God can reconcile His creature to His church—that's up to Him, right? The fact that He didn't go through our means, right? doesn't mean that God is powerless to reconcile him to the church and make him the member of his church, right? And it's, this is a clear teaching from our Savior's descent into Hades. The people that were there, they hadn't even many of them heard of our Savior, right? But he was able to reconcile them to their church. As many as heard and believed, he took them up to paradise, right? So if he was able to do with those people... How can he not do with others, right? So let's never limit, let's never put bounds on our Savior's mercy, right? What we should know that it's, it's not up to us, it's up to him. And we know that he's a merciful God, right? So his descent into Hades and, and taking the, the souls that were there, who were people from all 
races and nations who had never heard of true God, many, many and multitudes that heard of, saw him there in Hades, right? Bringing down light. And they recognized, of course, he's, this is our creator. And they believed in him, right? So uh, that does not contradict the teaching that there is no salvation outside the church. It's actually in perfect harmony. Because our, our Savior is the church. <laughs> his body is the church, right? So how he reconciles people to his church, it's up to him. And some say, well, how were they baptized? Of course they were baptized, because baptism is enlightenment. Fotismos, right? And our Savior is light himself. He enlightened the Hades, and that was baptism for them. Because baptism is being in light of God, right? Being entirely uh, enlightened by God. That's why it's called the, the often it's called the Feast of Lights, right? Mm -hmm. So how our Savior would enlighten, up to him, right? Uh, so ne never doubt mercy of God, right? And never be intimidated by anyone who is trying to say that, you know, they have become judges of who is uh, saved and who is damned, right? We, we are not anybody's judges. We know where the salvation is, this is where we should be, and that there is no salvation in false teachings, right? So whoever is saved, how our Savior saves them in a manner that he knows, right? It's not because there was something of a truth in another teaching, but they are saved in spite of the false teachings that they had, right? Or they might not even have known God, right? But he knows how to enlighten and how to, how to, how to uh, make himself known to uh, everybody. So let's never, uh, let's never doubt in his mercy and ask, ask, and it shall be given, right? Okay. Another question just about the Bible, the Orthodox Study Bible that uh, Thomas Nelson Publishers has yeah. produced. I was told to be careful because yeah, of the commentaries. It's, it's not Septuagint. Uh, it's not translated from the Septuagint. Oh, okay. So, what so would it's be a absolutely, good... to be honest, it's worthless for Orthodox. Oh boy. I mean, it's not only that commentaries are right. are, are, are are off, are very Protestant, right? right? Very, but the text itself from which they translate it is not the church's. Uh, or, or, or church, the, the, the text that the church uses. So what would be a good supplement, like, like commentaries, uh, what sort, what would be, be a good source of commentaries on... Old the, Testament, New Testament, which... which, no, which the, the, there's b certain books, I think, that we have... Well, there is, uh, the, to the New Testament, there is the uh, St. Theophilact of Bulgaria, who, oh, of Ochrid, who, who, who has commentaries on the all four Gospels and the Acts okay. and many of the Epistles. Then you have St. John Chrysostom. Oh, St. John Chrysostom. Then you have St. Cyril of Alexandria, his commentary, parts of John and uh, the entire uh, Gospel of Luke, right? Right. Then you have also, I mean, uh, this, this uh, actually, this is a, a good one. There's a multi-volume uh, edition of ancient Christian commentary, it's called. Mm -hmm. And it goes through from Genesis to Revelation. Oh, everything. Wow. The problem with it. You can right. buy that. Yeah, you can buy it online anywhere, right. right? The problem with it is you have to know which commentaries to read because I they see. put some unaccepted right. uh, so commentators, right? Some fathers, so, so you just have to sift through it. I mean, when you, what to read, what to trust, and what not, right? Mm -hmm. yes. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Okay. All That's right. Everything. Any more questions? I think I had all the answers. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> not, not, not I, not I. All right, very good. Very good.